Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is TV worth talking about. You didn't float up the wagon on a bubble. I'm veering towards muffins. Stop making a tip of yourself and piss off. This is Shrine of Duty. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Shrine of Duty. I'm Hannah. I'm Brendan. And I'm Rebecca. And this is your season five recap. Hi guys. How are you? Now we've already done a season five recap, but we're doing it again. Yeah, we're doing an overview instead of episode by episode. Yeah, so before we had done every episode of the show got an episode of the podcast, whereas now we've bashed it all into one. So you can go back and listen to our one to five recaps just in time for the new episode, which is coming so soon. So soon. Way sooner than expected. Way sooner. Them editors aren't getting a minute off over Christmas. Edit down. The, <laughs> edit it down. Get it out. So the BBC said that it should be with us before March? Yeah. So I don't... I, I think it's going to start in like a Sunday in the middle of March and run for six weeks. Probably just at the start of May. Yeah, there's no way it's coming out in January, Feb. There's just not physically the time. They're just irrelevant months, to be honest. Like March suits <laughs> us. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, the pandemic might be a bit of, a, of, a, of an improvement. You know, we can watch it together, hopefully. Jesus, imagine talk of a vaccine in the spring as well. We wouldn't know ourselves. <laughs> we wouldn't. Um, it was really nice going back to watch season five um, all over again, because when we obviously originally watched it, we decided to do the podcast last minute the week before. Yeah. Um, and we were doing the podcast every single week. And it was just nice to watch it, I guess, just, you know, just to enjoy it and just to see every bit of detail that I know we went through it, but I actually had forgotten basically the whole of season five. Oh, yeah. I remember, Brendan, do you remember, right? So we were all working together at the time and Brendan flew up the stairs because he worked on the floor below me and Reb <laughs> with this thing that he's written and you weren't even in oh, Australia. Office. This is how last minute the whole podcast was that me and Brendan recorded a trailer for this because you weren't even here. Yeah. Had we even asked you? Did you I want to do Dubai it? I was in Dubai or Australia. I was on a different continent, my love. Trailer out live, by the way. We're doing this podcast <laughs> when you come back so get on it. Um, yeah, it's, and I actually, Rebecca, I did what you said. Normally when I do my recaps, I watch the episode probably for the first time and I try to recap as I'm going but then I can't I don't get to enjoy it so now this time for doing season 5 I watched the whole thing through just at my leisure and then I went back to recap the two episodes that I knew I needed to do I did that as well the, the exact same thing as you which makes the world a difference guys I can't understand anything unless I watch the whole thing through I'm like which, I just don't understand yeah, what's yeah. going on but also it resulted in me knowing the bits that I knew I didn't need to put in my uh, season 5 episode 5 podcast is two and a half pages long well that's done. a record 
I don't even want to look, do I? I'm having a look through me notes here now. It's like the leaf insert English paper two. Three and a half, I have. I think mine's mine's three and a half for one episode and two and a half for the other, I think, or three. Yeah, give or take. I mean, we'll just see now how long it takes. And you know what? I was most excited to recap this one because there's so many questions that we don't have the answers to. Like when we were recapping seasons one to four, we knew everything. Most of it is tied up in a bow, whereas this one... There's still theories and questions and we don't know stuff and I think that made it more exciting. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely does and because we know that we're going to... I think there's going to be a few now characters they could be resurfacing now in the season six when it comes out in March. Definitely. Who, um, who's doing the first two episodes? It me, bitch. You are. Okay. <laughs> Off you um, go. Will we talk first about... Um, so you know the way at the start of each season we've had content, television presents, yeah. then we've had... Content media presents a world production, and that every season seems to be presented or produced by a, a slightly different version of the same organization with more words. With more words. Um, <laughs> so, guys, um, after um, <laughs> Hannah pointed out to me that, um, and when I say I cried, season five uh, began with a different title. It it's it opens with. Q Media Group presents a world production in association with Northern Ireland Screen. <laughs> um, and it just tickles us because it's changed every season. Guys, I emailed World Productions. <gasps> Let's see if I can find the email that I sent. I'm, I'm not going to find it. It's, it's going to take me too long. Was it uh, an essay? Basically, no, it wasn't. It, it was short. Uh, short, sweet and tongue in cheek. And I was like, guys, you know, if you'd like to take this opportunity to clarify what's <laughs> going on with the business, <laughs> this is your chance. <laughs> No reply. Um, oh, there's been a few restructures a there, subject, I'd say. Brandon. Well, Rebecca pointed out there's a few articles online about Q Media Group. Um, <laughs> it, it no longer exists and they, they had to offload a lot of their assets. Um, and just the quote, the quote I'll read out that relates to Q Media Group's dem- demise. <laughs> Oh it's not funny, guys. People probably lost jobs. No, I know that. It's just, it's, it's honestly like a, a whole mystery in itself. There could yeah. be a season on this of Line of Duty of what's gone on. Anyway, we'll leave it at this. Inaccurate information regarding working capital and a $100,000 debt or one hundred, yeah, or maybe even more. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So, um, I think they offloaded everything. I'm not sure who season six is going to be produced or presented by, but we'll see. Apparently ITV is uh, distributing season okay. six across the world. It's, it's ITV. ITV with the BBC. What? Yeah, I got a bit confused. That's what my article, it was the, what, what God, was it'll it? will be Deadline. on BritBox before we know it. Yeah, apparently they're distributing it. I don't really know what's going on, but listen, we'll do a bit of investigating and hopefully we'll be able to bring you more detail in the next podcast that we do. Um, okay. Please God. Season 5, episode 1, Reb. Okay, baby, let's do it. Uh, season 5 opens at Eastfield Storage Facility. There is a box. It's labelled ED905 and it's being transferred in a van guarded by armed officers in police cars, right? So on the convoy's journey, an officer, PC Jane Cafferty, she sees a burning car crashed into a ditch and a woman is frantically trying to rescue her child. My baby! My baby! She shouts, okay? Jane and her fellow officers stop and they run to help, but when they open the car door the seed of Chucky is staring back at them there's no baby at all it's just a baby born doll um, and suddenly men in balaclavas jump out of the bushes and they shoot Jane and the other officers I mean we're not even a minute in and there's people dead there's already been an ambush there's it's a fake doll it's such a dramatic opening 
Absolutely. Um, so right, so the Balaclava men then hurry to hijack the lorry with the gear inside it and they make their getaway and the ringleader orders the woman with the fake bebe to kill the female officer if she's still alive. The woman actually spares Jane but she tells the man that she's a goner. Um, the gang then land back in a barn with the van and all the drugs and Miroslav who was in Jackie's hairdresser in season one is actually one of the men in the Balaclavas um, along with the character played by Stephen Graham, right? Icon. At AC12 HQ, Kate tells Ted that three AFOs were killed at the scene and another is critically wounded. So less than five minutes in, Ted says, Mother of God. Um, Steve explains that ED905 contained heroin worth £10 million and, and it was being brought to an incineration facility when it was hijacked. So the drugs were being destroyed and someone obviously got in there to, to get them. Um, Ted says that the OCG responsible, that organised crime group, um, would have needed inside information to carry out the hijack so they need to find the leak. And in this scene here, straight away, we find out that Kate has been promoted to DI because Steve calls her mom. <laughs> So yeah. that's all, it's all happening, right? Yeah. Jane Cafferty is then interviewed in hospital and Kate says that anyone um, in a hijack who is spared automatically obviously becomes a person of interest. Uh, Lindsay Denton, hello. Um, <laughs> Jane explains that she stopped at the scene of the crash because she saw a mum fighting to save her baby. And Kate and Steve are like, well, the hijackers must have known that you were the only female officer and the only one who had kids. So they must have known that you were going to stop. And... Um, Jane eventually then reveals that she was spared by the woman in the car who set the trap um, and the woman did tell the others that Jane was dead and saved her life. Meanwhile, said woman, her name's Lisa McQueen, she heads into Kingsgate Printing Services to break the news to John, a.k.a. Stephen Graham. Um, so she's like, listen, one officer actually survived the hijack. Um, John is absolutely fuming because he's like, that person can now ID you. Um, but Lisa is like, listen, I'll make it up to you. So at AC12HQ, a new member of staff, Tatlin, is looking into a robbery that happened three months ago where a female accomplice diverted staff by pretending that her baby, aka her baby born, wasn't breathing. Um, Tatlin says that she was blocked from accessing the CCTV. So she's like, there was another robbery, I can't get into it. This leads mm. Kate, Steve, uh, Kate and Steve to Detective Superintendent Alison Powell's office in police services. Like, such a mysterious woman. I'm still so confused about her. Like, what is that How building? Am I? And Kate didn't know what that building was. Mm. It's all very weird. The police services situation, I'm like... That's coming back. Definitely. That is definitely coming back. Um, so when they arrive, it's actually a bit freaky because Ted's already in Alison's office. Um, and Alison is like, I gave Ted the heads up because you were trying to access sensitive files. Mm. So Tatlin accessing the files about the previous robbery is what sets that whole it's thing. It's like when they went to see Fairbank and then Ted turned up. Yeah, a bit dodgy. But Alison, now in fairness, she does explain straight away that she was like got Ted in on that so you know yeah. is it a, a Ted herring hmm. you know um, okay so Powell explains that AC12 have stumbled upon an extremely sensitive undercover operation an undercover officer is embedded in the OCG that hijacked the heroin and Steve reckons that the UCO is the woman who saved Cafferty's life you know, that would make yep. sense because she spared her. Next, John Corbett's OCG, which includes Ryan, the bent bastard from season one, all grown up. They meet another gang led by a man called Slater about the hijacked drugs. Um, so the drugs that John's crew hijacked were originally Slater's and they go back and forth discussing a 50-50 split. After the OCG are into club, John is snorting all sorts and there's women hanging out of him. There are women everywhere. He's dripping in women. Um, 
Lisa's like, listen, you're actually celebrating way too early. Um, and she's like, we're getting into business with bad people. And John shouts back, we are bad people. Great line. That is a You've line of juicy. You've done a great impression of that on our season one recap. Do you remember? Episode oh, yeah. one recap. <laughs> we you are bad people. Yeah. <laughs> we are bad people. <laughs> so at AC12 HQ, uh, Tatlin says that a guy called Vihan Malhotra knew about the transport <laughs> of ED905 and that he had a disciplinary record. Oh. So, so basically, they're looking into people who could have been bribed into giving out the info to the OCG yeah. about the police operations. And um, Vihan's job is actually to look after the disposing of controlled substances that are no longer required for evidence. Tatlin says that when the name came up, she said it to Manit, but Manit didn't think it was worth investigating. Tatlin is on the bleeding ball yeah. for the whole season. Very good, isn't she? I feel Brilliant. like Tatlin is the new kind of Manit. She's that sort of level. Brilliant. I like investigatory work that yeah. and then just hands I love all those info. glances between her and she's like why is Minnie telling me that that's not worth investigating well, we'll find out more on that in a sec um, Vihan's called in for questioning and he's shaking like a leaf he says he needs a glass of water he starts to walk towards the door and then he legs it gone gone Sonic <laughs> legs it so Vihan isn't thirsty at all God love him he's actually escaping but he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't get far he's tackled to the ground outside by Kate and Steve and Kate, and Steve's back is actually killing him yeah from being fucked down five flights of stairs yeah in season four by Lakewell wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. So he's just yeah, he's in bits. Yeah, was no, it like, who do we know who it was that threw him down the was stairs? It it was Robert Denmore. Mm-hmm. Is it's, Robert Denmore the fella that Ted shot? Yes. Yeah, it was one of there's him or Lakewell. Yeah, Lakewell. It was. Lakewell, it was at Lakewell's guy. office. Anyway. Not Candy Newton's husband, anyway. No, no, it wasn't. Who I also think is he going to be back, baby, as well? No, no. <laughs> I don't know. No. You would know. Um. So that night, Kate heads home to her husband and her son, and things seem very rosy between them. Steve, meanwhile, though, he's popping pain kill pills in his apartment, and a girl called Tina messages him on a dating app, and the picture that they use is actually Martin Compson's real life wife and dog. Yeah, I love that. Which is so cute, cute. in that picture. Steve doesn't reply though. You know? Mm, so I, I like that juxtaposition of the happy family and the lonely man there. <laughs> I thought that was very effective. What he could have had, what he chose not to have. Absolutely. Okay, so the next day Vihan's interviewed by AC12. Um, his phone data implicates him as does 25 grand in cash that was found in his floorboards. Not looking good, pet. Um, he admits... <laughs> <laughs> He admits that he was bribed into disclosing sensitive information about police operations. And um, Vihan actually has really big debts because he has a gambling problem. And he says that a mixed race woman from a betting company got in touch about a repayment program. And then she actually used all of the personal information that he gave her to threaten his family. Oh, So that's how he got involved there. Yeah. Um, after, Kate says that it's really dodgy that the UFO that recruited Vihan never told the police about him. Um, and she's like, three officers wouldn't have been dead if they had just said that Vihan was dodgy AF. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Okay. That night at the club, John tells Lisa that Slater has agreed a trade, but he says he's doubts about Lisa. He's like, you're a bottler. You're soft. I can't trust you. Um, and he asks her to prove herself, right? So that's exactly what Lisa does. Lisa, in the next scene, goes to meet Slater with her gang and she stands up to him a lot. Um, he's trying to rene- renegotiate a deal with the drugs and she really does keep her cool. But we can see that her hand is shaking behind her back. Um I really do love this about the first episode is that it really the whole time is pointing that Lisa is the UCO, the UCO yeah. and they really do a great job at making it that 
really trying to make it really obvious. Yeah, so when that computer swings around, you're like, no way. You're like, mm-hmm. jaws on the floor. Yeah. Um, so they pop bottles in the club and Miroslav is like, <laughs> we're minted, we're minted. Yes, I actually love Miroslav <laughs> so party much. boy. Oh my God. Isn't he? he wants to party all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he? I love Miroslav. Okay, the following day, a terrified Manit enters AC12 with her Police Federation rep, PC Paul Harris. Um, she's questioned in the, bla- in the glass box by her former colleagues and it turns out that Vihan Malhotra is Manit's cousin. Um, So Manit did actually suppress that lead in the hijack case to try and protect him but she says that she didn't know that Vihan was trying to pass on information to the OCG. So she was saying that she was actually trying to help her cousin and she didn't know that he was dodgy AF. Um, Okay. Manit explains that ACC Hilton used Vihan to blackmail her. To begin with, Hilton said that he would pull a few strings to help Vihan and his offences if she kept him in the loop about AC12 operations. She's bald and crying. She says that she thought that what she was doing was lawful and that all she was really trying to do was help her cousin kick his gambling addiction. However... Hilton then kept pressurising her to reveal more and more sense of information and she ended up taking early maternity leave. So it's all a nod to season yeah. four here. Um, Monique cries and says that nothing that she can do will ever make up for what she did and Ted is livid and says that she's done with the force. Um, they also do show up in that scene um, Jamie Desford from season four yeah. about how Manish did access his files and his computer. Yeah. We kind of saw all that, but it just wraps that whole situation yeah. up nicely. Um, afterwards, Ted says that Manish's confession has put the final nail in Hilton's coffin. It proves that Hilton was H. Um, Hilton knew about Mulhultra. He was the senior police officer running the show for organised crime, but Kate isn't 100% convinced. She pulls Steve aside and she says, Manish links to Hilton, Hilton to Mulhultra, Mulhultra to the OCG, and now there's a UCO inside the OCG and they need her to prove the gaffer right or wrong. Okay. So Kate's like, hang on a second. Kate spends this whole season being suspicious, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And Manit then visits Vihan in Blackthorn Prison and he's not in a good way. She begs him to come clean to AC12. He says he'll never talk, but he's like, I need you to help me. So Vihan tells Manit how to get in touch with the OCG and that's via a number on a sexy call card in a phone box. Manit goes there. She calls the number and says that she's got a betting tip and a baby bent bastard, aka Ryan 2.0, cycles up and puts a phone outside. Um, that that night, Miroslav brings Manit, who has a sack over her head, to meet Lisa in a laneway. And Manit is like, listen, I want to guarantee that my cousin Vihan is safe inside prison. And in return, I'll give you information on police operations. And she's like, I did this with Hilton before. Mm. Manit's getting into... I feel like she's a, like a, she's a good person, but she's just... Oh, totally. Doing, and she, in the decisions. end, she gets killed because she's trying to do the right thing for AC12. Yeah. Um, okay, so later on, Lisa gets a call from an unknown number as she drives through the city in a fancy car. She doesn't answer. The shot then cuts to Ted outside ringing someone who doesn't answer. Suspicious. Um, he's actually outside the Edge Park Hotel where he's currently living. Ted's toilet is broken. He hasn't paid his bill and he's been served with divorce papers. So it's n- things aren't really great no, in Ted's life. he's not in life. a great place, is Shocker. he? Yeah. Meanwhile, Slater and his crew were in their warehouse. They're waiting to meet John and Co. to do the trade. Suddenly, armed officers raid the premises. Sam and I think it's Hargreaves from Serious Crime arrive. They find a van parked outside filled with all the heroin from the hijack. Slater later says the van isn't his and that he was set up by a woman. I mean, I'm telling you, Lisa McQueen's a badass. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. she, yeah, she knows what she's doing as well. Set them all up like killing it. Okay, the next day, Steve um, tells Ted that a portion of the heroin from the hijack was traded to a rival OCG for a huge amount of cash. A further trade was arranged and the drugs were planted at the scene in a van to incriminate the rival OCG. The whole thing was orchestrated by a female OCG officer who matches the description of the nominal. Um, that's the person that they're investigating the whole time. Ted reckons that um, she was just trying to get the drugs off the street. He's like, well, she's still doing her job, you know, trying to get them off the street. Steve is like, "Mm, no, the person who gave the tip-off call didn't use any of the code words that they issued to undercover officers. So more on that. Meanwhile, Lisa chats to John about how everything went to plan. And she's like, you know, Monique did her part in the whole thing. Monique made the call. Um, John isn't sure about Monique. And I'm like, Monique, you in danger, girl. You yeah. in serious danger here. We then see Manit in her car stopping at a red light. Suddenly a van crashes into her. Two men get out and they bundle her into the, into a car and they bring her to John's office. John accuses Manit of being full of shit and being on the way to AC12 when they stopped her. Manit cries and says that, that it is not true and the gang end up opening up the back of the burner phone that they gave her and it reveals a tracker or, or a recording device. So... She's, yeah, this is not good. Manita's sobbing then. They put the sack over her head and they lead her away. And afterwards, Lisa looks like she's about to get sick. She's like having full mm. panic attack. Um, Kate, Ted and Steve visit Powell's office again here and they ask her how her UCO failed to hand over any information about the hijack and stop officers from being killed. Powell eventually, I mean, it takes <laughs> bloody hours. She eventually reveals that the details of Operation Pear Tree. The brief Operation was to shit show. absolutely. The brief was to embed an undercover officer within an organised crime group. Um, Ted says he didn't float up the lagging on a bubble, and Powell reveals that her officer hasn't actually made contact with her in about three months. Yeah, and she for, she kind of fudges that. She he, she's like, oh yeah, we haven't really heard from him. And Ted is like, like, are we talking like a few hours or like how long here? She's just like, mm. yeah, she's like, yeah. Eh. quite and a while. She's like. I haven't heard from him. And everyone's like, he, yeah. him. So Kate is like, um, what is going on here? He, him. Powell turns her screen around to reveal that the UCO and the OCG is Detective Sergeant John Corbett. <sighs> and not Lisa McQueen, as we all thought it was No, be. no. Uh, we then see poor Minnie tied up in the boot of a car, desperately trying to break free, but it's too late. Two men in balaclavas take her out. They bring her somewhere that looks very familiar, the dock where Hilton and Oliver Stevens Lloyd were found. They lead her to the edge and they slit her throat. Her blood pours into the water below. And meanwhile, we see Corbett sip a drink in the club and the credits roll. That's the end of episode one. They they love a throat slit in this season. Oh my God. Also, it's graphic. It's bloody always Ryan as well. I'm like, Ryan, you're 12. Yeah, yeah he's a it's real so he's violent. A serial killer. Like. Yeah, it's so terrifying. So that's the end of season one. Um, quite a lot actually happens in season one. There's about a hijack, there's a plant and evidence and a rival OCG and we find out who the real UCO and the OCG is. So... <laughs> <laughs> Any more acronyms? <laughs> I know. Episode two opens up with uh, t- um, Steve and Kate. They're devastated. They're at the scene of Manit's murder and they're identifying her body. Um, Manit's body was found, obviously, in the exact same place as Hilton's, whose death was assumed to be a suicide, but now AC12 believed that he was killed. Yeah. Um, at AC12 HQ, Steve shows Ted footage of Manit being kidnapped and bundled into a van. Steve says a serious crime are looking into it, but Ted doesn't think that they should sit on their hands with all this. So he heads to meet PCC Rohan Sinvani and Deputy Chief Constable Wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Rohan 
is going on about how police corruption has been covered up for far too long for fear of losing <laughs> public trust when mom chicka wow Miss Curly Blowdry herself Jill Bigelow enters the room she's Rohan's senior legal counsel dodgy mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and um, basically Ted is like the OCG may be involved in Minit's death so I need access to serious crimes murder investigation files and and he's also like, I need access to all the files for Operation Pear Tree, Operation Shit Show. And <laughs> um, so he's like, we want to try to find out if an undercover officer is participating in criminal activities and wise does grant AC-12 the files. Now, Jill and Rohan are not too happy about that. And <laughs> no. um, so Kate and her crew then barge into Powell's office and they get all the Pear Tree files. Powell is obviously fuming. Back at base, Steve plays Kate audio files found on Manit's home computer and in the clip, Manit says that her plan was to carry out surveillance on the OCG because she let AC12 down and betrayed oh, Hastings trust. Mon heart. So sad. Um, we also hear Manit's conversation with Lisa McQueen and Miroslav when they had the bag overhead in the laneway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, later on, Ted pulls Tatlin aside and tells her not to action the red notice that they served Manit. He says that he's going to talk to Wise and remind her that Manit was still a serving AC12 officer at the time of her murder. Um, so therefore, Manit did die in the line of duty. Um, that night, there's a man waiting for Ted outside his hotel reception when he enters. It's retired DCI Mark Moffat. Now, he was someone's Federation rep. Ross, Ross Huntley. Huntley. He is so dodgy. He is 100% coming back. So we're going to yeah. listen intently now to what he's done. Ross Huntley's Federation rep. I have a theory about all this afterwards, which I'll tell you Oh, right. I can't wait. It turns out that Mark Moffat has joined a mate's property development business. Um, they've taken over the redevelopment of the Kettlebell Complex in Ireland and they're now compensating the original unlucky investors. So he's like, Ted, I'm going to try to get you back your money. So he it's just so dodgy. quit the police force. He's re- he retired. Oh, he retired. Yeah, he retired and then got involved with the mate's property business. Is the mate Nigel Morton? I want to know that. Nigel Morton, I'd say he'd get into property. Or is Jimmy Lakewell involved in property? Jimmy Lakewell's in prison, though, and he says he'll never talk, but I think he might talk someday. Mm. He will 100% mm. talk. Also, we know that there's a timeshare property mm. element to season From six. Ton Investigation. From Mon Investigation on Twitter, which I'll tell you about later. So we'll, we really will. And Nigel Morton, we think, is in Spain. So he'd have <laughs> a timeshare in Spain. Why do we think he's in That's Spain? That's exactly it. Did we make that up? I yeah. think you made that up. No, we made that up. I feel like Nigel Morton would have retired to Spain. And they said that because sometimes a laptop is. could be in Spain. I fucking... Okay. <laughs> Okay. So I'm we'll like, come back to that. Nigel Morton's got involved in the property. Like, he's it's in- Nigel Morton's laptop. Yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah, and he's got Mark Moffat The one's involved. head wrapped in the bubble wrap. No. So it's actually in, it's in my recap. Okay, so I'll okay, bring okay. it up when it comes up. But I, I fully thought that. I was like, did we tell everyone that Nigel Morton was in Spain? Yeah. Did we actually find that out? Because the last we saw of him, he was no, mowing his lawn. Yeah, no, he no, was he's, mowing his lawn. But I just feel like and he'd have a And the crotch on the wall. 100% went. He'd have a timeshare. He got a few bob. Off into the sunset. Yeah. I think so. In Hispania. Um, <laughs> so at HQ, Steve tells the team about Operation Pear Tree. Undercover officer, officer John Corbett, aka John Clayton, has risen through the ranks as a forger. So he does be making the dodgy passports, John does. Yeah. Multi talented, that man. In the King's um, State printing. But he, Steve is basically telling everyone that like, he hasn't been in contact in three months. Um, they now believe that he was involved in the ED905 hijack and Manit's death. Steve says that one of Manit's abductors from the phone footage has been identified. It's Lee Banks. Oh. 
a career criminal with numerous convictions for violence. Um, and one of Lee Banks' associates is Robert Denmore, who was involved in Trapdoor, led by DCI Ros Huntley in 2017. Denmore was shot dead by Ted in the AC12 building at the end of season four. So that is how they know that there's a connection between Corbett's OCG and the network of corrupt officers that they've been investigating for years. Yeah. That's the whole link, baby. That's it all. That's mm-hmm. nice to have that in a little boat. You can lose that sometimes in the detail of what's yeah. actually going on. So like, and they brought Robert Denmore back because they do bring that argument back. You know, uh, Ted, yeah, taking yeah, out yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. An important so member. They kind of ble- they put all those little bits of information in there, so you're like, hmm, suspicious. Yeah. Um. Okay. It turns out that some of the files um have been redacted. Oh wait, did I say that? Oh yeah. Some some files have been redacted, so they are not actually sure why Corbett has gone rogue. They can't figure out what happened in the three months that he just stopped contact. They're like, why are all these files hidden? What's going on? Tatlene says that she's going to try and track down the original comm officer. Love her. Going to try to figure that out. Um, that afternoon, Kate and Steve visit Corbett's wife, Steph. She says she hasn't heard from him. She calls him a selfish arsehole and she says he doesn't give a shit about his family. Very convincing. Chicken licking. Chicken licking. Isn't she so convincing though? <laughs> she is. She's a Dublin actress, Chicken licking. Because yeah. we had this issue with her accent. Um, Steve later <laughs> listens to Manit's recordings explaining the whole sexy call card phone box communication thing. Um and Steve actually heads there, which I think, I'm like, Steve, you just got thrown down a flight of stairs a few months ago and now you're heading to, to a sexy phone booth to try and talk to Miroslav. <laughs> like The giant criminal man. Bloody hell. Um, so Steve does go to the phone box. He tries to call Nikki 9, that's the name of the card, um, and a baby, <laughs> Ryan 2.0, is on the lookout and he takes a photo of Steve. He later goes back to Kingsgate, shows Ryan and Miroslav. They recognise him and call him Steve Arnold. Yeah. which I was he's like Arnold or something is he bent as far as I can remember not a bent bone in his body yeah. exactly so they're like they're like Steve is fully investigating Manit's murder like SOS Lisa's freaking out and John is like we better get a move on and do something big something big you've already hijacked heroin you've, you've conned another OCG into taking the blame for the heroin they're absolutely flat out in Kingsgate <laughs> flat out aren't they they are flat out in Kingsgate printing services Um <laughs> <laughs> so later on Lisa knocks on Jane Cafferty's door dressed as a district nurse oh my god it's honestly reminds me of um, Heath Ledger dressed as a nurse in Batman yeah it's so funny um, Jane's husband lets her in now guys I need to talk to you about this we gave Jane Cafferty's husband such a hard time about letting the nurse up the stairs into Jane's room the bloody guard at the door is one of John Corbett's like bent officers that he keeps in touch with Oh, th- I missed that. Yeah, no, he is bent, but still the husband. True, but he listens at the door and, you know, Lisa's like, how are you, Jane? Is it okay if I call you Jane? <laughs> like, it's very <laughs> convincing. Um, okay, so you're, wa- sorry, uh, Lisa gets up the stairs and she, obviously Jane's petrified when she sees her and Lisa's like, listen, hon, I'm not here to kill you. Instead, I'm here to talk business. And she's like, you need to help me out a bit here or else you could lose your family in a different way. So she's threatening her here. More on that later. That night, another transport's being made at the Midlands Forensic Ballistics Lab as police cars and the transport van head in the direction of the road. John and loads of armed men in balaclavas are getting ready to pounce. This is a great scene. Yeah, it is. Um, They cut the streetlights. They put down spikes on the road. 
The police cars approach and suddenly tyres burst, cars crash and the gang shoot their machine guns. One of the balaclava men hijacks the van. Meanwhile, Lee Banks is about to shoot an officer dead and John pushes Lee Banks aside. Yeah. Um, and John starts shooting at the officer's windscreen and he's like, oh, your mom was about to kill you. Lee is so suspicious of John here. The gang escape with the van and they head back to a warehouse. So they've stolen loads of drugs and now about 150 machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> My God, they've gotten so many. Miroslav's having a field day afterwards. <laughs> Sam from Serious Crime meets Steve at the scene. The OCG stole loads of automatic rifles that were on their way to being destroyed. So the same thing again. Um, oddly, there were no casualties though. Yes. And John made sure of that, didn't yeah. he? Steve drops Sam home. She says sorry for everything that happened between them. She says, um, sorry, Steve is like, listen, it's water under the bridge. But she then kisses him and says something about the hairs on his chinny chin chin. Do you remember that? Very strange. She made a joke about bum fluff or something, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. Okay, that night um, we see John call his worried wife to tell her that he's safe. Steph tells him that the coppers were at the door. Arnett and Fleming were there asking about him. She cries and tells him how much she loves him and misses him. And John sobs as he listens to his daughter sleeping. The following day, Kate and Steve meet John's former covert ops manager, Inspector Cameron. And this is interesting here. She says communication between her and John dried up because John does things his own way. She says that Powell reassigned her because she thought that she was mismanaging John. So Powell was really doesn't want John getting to the bottom of things, to be honest. Okay. Do you know, Powell does be involved with all this shit. Like there's something weird going on. Um, But uh, Cameron does reveal here that John is convinced that he knows who the top man is. And that is the man who goes by H. Dun, dun, dun. So the whole H thing comes back into effect there from that little scene. Okay. Mm. Um, meanwhile, Lisa shows John a laptop which has a fake MSN-style chat tab open. <laughs> this is how they're communicating with the mystery high-ranking corrupt officer. John says that they're planning a big raid. This time it's Eastfield Depot and it's where police forces um, in the region store all their drugs, cash, jewels, and he wants to take it all in one go. So this is the big one. Um, the call then disconnects. I love the way the high-ranking officer is always like, bye. Yeah. Just yeah. whatever he Just feels hangs like. Up. It. Um, that night, Steve is parking in an underground car park when a balaclava class John Corbett pulls a gun to his head orders him to cuff himself in the back of the car and then John begins driving Steve's car around the place and Steve's in the back yeah this is bloody mad mad um, so John is basically like to Steve here I'm straight I finally got access to the to the top man via a computer um, but I don't know if it's hate yet John begs Steve for his support he says that Powell doesn't want the truth coming out um, and that coppers were killed in the first hijack because he had to keep his cover John also plans a seed of death in Steve's mind in relation to Ted. John asks why Hastings wasn't reprimanded for the killing of Dunmore from the OCG last season. Mm-hmm. Um, surely he would have been brought in for questioning. They could have got so much information out, out of Sorry. Robert Dunmore easily. Yeah. Um, John also says that Cafferty and her whole team were bent and that he's telling the God honest truth. So that evening, um, we see more issues in Ted's relationship. He meets his wife, Roisin, for a drink in a bar. Ted tells her that he made a bad investment and he just wanted them to have a better future. Roisin tells poor heartbroken Ted that she's met someone else and it's time for him to sign the divorce papers. It's just not good Aww. for him living in the shitty hotel and like Roisin's like, no, Ted, I'm out. She's like, I've met someone else. I'm like, oh God. Um, who? Yeah. Yeah, who? Exactly. Um, that night, as Ted looks at Mark Moffat's business card, we see an open laptop in his room with a blur MSN-like chat open. <laughs> now, guys, what the hell? This is the most suspicious thing ever. It really is. Um, in AC12HQ, Steve doesn't tell Kate about Corbett's surprise uh, visit in the car park, which I'm like, damn, Steve. Steve's played a dangerous game. 
Yeah. Um, instead, he tells Kate that they should put surveillance on Cafferty's house um, in case the OCG pay her a visit and try finish the job. Corbett later drops Lee Banks to Cafferty's gaff and he tells him to give her an envelope full of cash to keep her sweet because Cafferty gave them the information about the raid with all the guns. So Cafferty has now been involved in the heroin hijack and involved in the machine gun hijack. Also, could the police, like, considering every time they move a consignment of anything, they get <laughs> run off the road and shot to bits. Could they not just change the way they, like, incinerate shit? Yeah, Do you I know agree. what I mean? Every single time. I agree. There's an ambush. I know, like, put it into, like, a weird, like, Venga bus van, like a party bus, and no one would think anything. Or could you not suspicious. just do it, like, on site? Like, just build an incinerator? I don't know. I agree. Um, Lee enters... Um, so Lee actually enters Cafferty's house but Steve and co are already waiting for him when he jumps in sure he's stung rapidly he tries to escape out a window in the spare room that has a blind on it I was like lift up the blind love <laughs> um, okay Cafferty is then um Sorry, Cafferty's arrested then as well because they're like, Jesus, you've got a huge envelope full of cash in your bedroom, <laughs> in your bedside drawer. And she's like, Lee, just put that there. <laughs> and so Cafferty's brought into the glass box in AC12 for questioning. She eventually reveals to Kate and Steve that the OCG contacted her because she was having an affair. And sure, they'd all the CCTV footage and all the pictures of her with the mystery man. So they started blackmailing hey. her. So that's how she got involved because she was having an affair. She agreed to give them information on police operations if they didn't tell her husband. Um, Jane says her whole team in the ED905 hijack um, were they were all involved in it but they didn't think that any of them were going to get killed they thought they were just going to get a few minor injuries um, she says that the woman dressed as a nurse then blackmailed her again into revealing details about the second transport of all the ammunition um, however it wasn't a woman or Banks who first contacted her um, blackmailing her about her affair instead it was a police officer holy shit um, so Kate legs it out of the room she gets a photo of every H suspect so um, there's Fairbanks there's Hilton Prasad Ted we think we think she gets it from the thing mm-hmm. yeah. um, and Jane then points to the person who recruited her um, Ted is peering through his office window the whole time it's very awkward and Jane then points to the picture um, to one picture on the table one picture Ted staring one picture credits roll we don't know who she pointed to that's the end of episode recap. 2 great recap there's Great. a lot going on. There's guys. a lot going on. But guys, I'm telling you, we're three episodes in and there's been, or sorry, we're two episodes in and there's been three raids. Yeah. Miroslav's yeah. cleaning up. He might just have a Louis Vuitton bag. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Season 4, episode 3. So the episode opens in Kingsgate Printing Services. John briefs the OCG on the Eastfield Depot job. They're doing another rage rep. A warehouse where the police store drugs, guns, cash jewels and other robbery halls. Lisa is worried about the job being too complicated. But John tells her that he has experience in security. I never picked up on that before um, and knows what it takes. The team pour over plans of the warehouse while John reminds them that they have high-level coppers working for them as well as AFOs, which is an authorised firearms officer. He makes the point of not wanting to use their newly acquired guns but Lisa um, and tells Lisa to get in touch with their bent coppers. So Ted has a small go at Kate and Steve for going behind his back and showing the photos that Reb just talked about to Jane Cafferty of potential H suspects. Cafferty, we remember, claims she was recruited by a corrupt officer with established links to organised crime. That's the moment that Dot's photo is revealed as the one which Jane pointed to in the glass box. No more skulking around, Ted warns his team. There's no more secrets in AC12. Ted then meets Moffat in a traditional British pub. He tells the gaffer that he can... Okay, this is... I love that explanation. In the traditional British, British pub. pub. This, I found this They do all, a good carvery there, I'd say. I'd say they do mm. a lovely Sunday roast. A Yorkshire pudding oh, in the yeah. carvery. I found all this bit real confusing, right? So I tried to break it down, basically, because I did not understand what Moffat and the money and Ted all was. So basically, Moffat tells Ted that he can secure his investment so he can get the original money that he lost back if Ted makes a deposit of 100 grand. Mm. Dodgy. Really dodgy. So Ted laughs him off, but Moffat continues, telling Ted, we can set up a loan facility against the credit you'll receive. So basically, Ted, you have to give me 100 grand and then I'll get your money back, but I'll actually loan you that 100 grand to give me first. Yeah. Disaster situation. Uh, Hello, pyramid scheme. Please, like... Um, so basically, Ted takes out a hundred k loan on the basis that once he gets back his original investment, like he'll clear the debt. For sake, Ted! Like, so, what are you at? So stupid! So it's very hard to believe he's vulnerable. He's gone through the divorce. <laughs> yeah, I, I just about to say, Moffat plays on Ted's dire financial state and failing marriage. Ted considers the proposal over a whiskey. Back in the print and shop, Lisa tells John that she's been chatting to a bent copper who can get them into Eastfield. She set up John with a laptop. He speaks into an unknown person types back. Unknown wants confirmation that the Eastfield job is worth the risk because they've done 75 ambushes in the last week. John successfully <laughs> convinces the computer screen. Lisa then asks, any new orders for me? And the screen <laughs> replies, um, the screen replies, you know what to do. <laughs> Guys, know. you know what to do. You know what to do. The secret combos with Lisa on the screen and we are not involved in them mm. yet. Then the call disconnects and John asks Lisa, are they talking to H? Lisa says she doesn't know who they're talking to and plans to keep it that way. John then insists, Um, to Lisa that her bent copper better be there on the night of the robbery reluctantly she agrees and then across town in a dingy hotel room Ted shuts the laptop and looks worried suspicious music plays it's so like it's really pointing obviously that Ted is dodgy AF yeah it's too obvious though 
John and Steve meet in a laneway. John tells Steve about Lisa McQueen, who's reaching out to Ben Coppers. He also informs Steve about their communication method, the laptop. John then gives Steve Lisa's burner number. Steve tells John that after the stuff he's done, AC12 are after him. We're in this together, shouts John, and Steve walks away. In AC12 HQ, Tatlin provides Steve with the data the team have pulled from McQueen's burner number. From the call log, Tatlin can tell that the OCG, they all use burner phones. They change their number every couple of days. They track Lisa his current number and locator in the Moss Heath area. Steve then grabs two team members, Liz and James, screaming never heard them before, <laughs> for a surveillance op and they watch as Lisa and Miroslav pull up outside a dodgy looking boarded up house in Moss Heath. And it looks like a hate from an aerial shot. Yes, I forgot about yeah. that actually. Later back in AC12, Steve shows the larger team images they took on the op and connects Miroslav all the way back to Tony Gates and Jackie Lav in season one. Jed wasn't messing around. Further images are taken on the op and show a number of registered sex offenders entering and leaving the house. One man is of particular interest. He was there the same time as McQueen. The photo was blurry, but the man wears a long navy coat, jeans and a paddy cap. Ted asks for recognition data but the photo doesn't capture enough features Steve is keeping it on file again suspicious and Ted has a stunning navy coat this season Ted's got a stunning new navy coat and it's a similar build and the man looks to be similar age to Ted Kate confirms no females were seen entering or exiting the property and suggests the premises being used for drugs or prostitution Steve is reluctant to raid the house or the print shop too soon in the investigation Kate looks upset Ted overrules Steve and orders his team to raid the house and raid the print shop the OCG look at photos of dodgy security guards in their HQ. John is interrupted by a call from Steve, which is your favourite thing because he pretends to be a sexy call to a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, what are you cry. wearing? Yeah, what are you wearing? <laughs> um, the scene then cuts to armed police officers entering the Moss Heath house and the Kingsgate printing services. Kate and Steve are at the house where they find a number of vulnerable women who are locked into rooms oh. later. Ted, Kate and Steve search the print shop, but it has been vacated just in time. Only the workers who are like forging the passports remain. They're making an age card so I can get into the club. (laughs) (laughs) John waits for Steve in an underground car park and it's John is seriously beginning to unravel. He's furious that Steve broke their agreement in a rant about his undercover work. John says, look, it all comes down to politics. No one wants the coming out that organised crime depends on bent coppers. He tells Steve that Powell lost the bottle. Maybe you have too, but Steve ensures and whatever it takes, I'm in. John pulls... um, John pulls it out of Steve that Hastings gave the order for the raids and he's not happy. He then gives information on the Eastfield Depot job and confirms the senior police officer has been working behind the scenes to help the OCG and better still, he's going to be there on Thursday night. Steve pushes John for a name, but he won't give in. And we know that now because he doesn't know. He doesn't have a name himself. No. And the two men go their separate ways. Later, John drinks alone at a club. He meets Lisa, who questions how he knew to clear out the print shop in time. And he lies his way out of it, but she's not having not any of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jill Bigelow bounces into Ted's office at AC12. She is not happy that John is still at large or that the red notice against Minnie has been rescinded. She then randomly tells Ted that DCC Andrea Wise, who rescinded Minnie's red notice, mm. was only appointed because she's a woman meaning that she couldn't be a mason. She just randomly says that sentence. I have no idea what the relevance of it is. Because in the previous season, you know, when he went here right at Fairbanks' house, there was the Masonic handshake. 
I, and and Kate had to go and get permission from a different eighty nine. Yeah, do you remember Huntley gave gave that big uh, showdown after she knew she was like done? But she basically was like, Ted, you don't hire any women. Ted sexist, and you're a mason, and you're involved. You remember all that? So maybe that's like, just was, was it. Jill being like, was that Jill very subtly being like, I think you're corrupt. Maybe, yeah. but then I just. I think it was probably put in there to remind the audience and they yeah. had to find someone to say it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Because it does stick out a bit. Now, let me find my place. Okay, so Jill then congratulates Ted for finally promoting a female inspector. So they're kind of bringing a ball. That's with Kate. Um, she jokes with Ted that he's sexist and insists that he sorts out the Corbett mess and then off she pops. So a police officer interviews Marina. It's uh, She's one of the young women that were found in the Moss Heath house. Steve watches the interview on a monitor. Oh, sorry, Mariana. Mariana reveals that a woman matching Lisa's description took a man into a bedroom at the house. The man seems surprised by her and maybe even intimidated. His description is middle-aged, average height or just above, heavy-ish build, light hair. Could be Ted. Um, she's describing the man in the mystery photo. Steve had from the uh, surveillance op. Mariana thinks the man had a strong accent, definitely definitely not local. Steve then pulls Kate into a meeting room for a private chat. He reveals that he's been in secret contact with John and Kate is fucking fuming. Steve catches Kate up on everything he's learned, including Corbett's suspicions about Hastings. He then brings her in on the Eastfield job plan. Uh, the pair then bring Ted up to speed and he's raging with them. Um, Hastings reminds his team that John will go to jail come what may before telling the pair that he will back them to the hilt. Outside uh, Ted's office, Kate puts it to Steve that he gave John the heads up on the print shop raid. He tries to lie, but she sees right through him. We then cut to a frantic Ted who wraps his laptop in bubble wrap before heading to an electronic disposal centre. This is crazy. Bonkers. What is going on? We still don't know. Okay, so it's Thursday night. AC12, uh, accompanied by uniformed officers, are set up to spy on the Eastfield depot job. Meanwhile, the balaclava-clad OCG members hop into black jeeps and head out. Steve watches as a white truck is permitted um, to the depot, soon followed by black jeeps. So they basically know the security guards are all in on it. The group bursts into the warehouse, guns blazing. They pull down all the CCTV. John's getting worried. There's no top dog. He's running out of time. In AC12 hideout, we learn uh, that they have trackers on all the OCG vehicles. So even if they don't get down there on time, they'll be yeah. able to track them. Lisa tries to convince John that they have enough of the loose, but he's still waiting to meet that bent bastard. He needs your man to show up. All of a sudden, sirens are blaring. The bent bastard is crossed. As John Moore simultaneously AC12 get a call over their radio for a status zero at Farmer's Lane it's a location just a few minutes from where they are the OCG also have radio so they can hear the call as well next thing this is so dodgy Ted's voice comes down the radio where has he been the whole time yeah he reminds Kate that regs are regs first duty is the preservation of life and although she's convinced that the Farmer's Lane call is it's, a diversion yeah. it's a decoy like they, yeah. regs are regs she has to send officers down there so Ted insists that the AFO are diverted to Farmer's Lane so leaving no firearms officers at the Eastfield Depot um, okay Steve gets to Farmer's Lane an ununiformed officer informs him that his car skidded off the road he saw OCG in the trees and reckons that they put oil down <laughs> I love that he says they're in the trees <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back at the depot, a vehicle approaches. One of the officers with Kate tracks the reg. It's a job car. Out walks a blurry balaclava clad man in dark clothing. He tells the OCG about the trackers. They pulled them off the cars. Kate radios Steve and she's like, I need you back here now, pulling you out of there. And they're all kind of freaked out because they're like, if this farmer's lane issue is real, we're going to get killed. And Kate's like, don't care, get back up here. Um... 
Okay, so the bent copper is walking away. Steve isn't going to get to the depot on time. And without the trackers, AC12 could be about to lose all their intel. And then John turns around and shoots the mystery figure in the legs oh. with a machine gun. And he crumples. Lisa is shocked, but John claims he knows a rat when he sees one. Kate makes it to the man. He's losing a lot of blood just in time. Now she pulls off the balaclava to reveal DCI, Lester Hargreaves. But they've done a very good job of making him look like Steve. Yeah. Or Ted. Ted. They so really did. I read this. Jed did an interview to say that they used some... They, they basically took... It's not CGI, but they use some sort of like doctoring, oh. and they and and the in after like in kind of like post production, they got Ted and Les, and they basically blurred both of their body shapes and their kind of face. Oh my god! To keep everyone guessing because they they wanted everyone to be like because there oh, is a split is it, second that you're like oh yeah Jesus. So, so they they basically did a mashup of both of their like bodies and faces so that we didn't know which one it was oh my god that's so interesting yeah. so quick recap on Hargreaves we meet him in season 2 he's working for major violent crime in season 4 he's murder squad and in season 5 he's serious organised crime back in season 1 we picked up on this in our season 1 recap Ryan Pilkington's social worker is called Jane Hargreaves mm-hmm. we don't know if the two are related but they definitely are <laughs> side note Hargreaves has worked with two women who've had relationships with Steve Nicola Rogerson yeah. and Sam Railston. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. And we'll just put that out there. Now, I must ask you guys about this. So, Hargreaves... Hargreaves got blackmailed into doing all this because he has a thing for young women. He's a... Yeah, But we don't know how long he's been... We do. Do we know how long he's been involved... Been corrupt for? Comes up in the next episode. But we do need to speak about that because that raises a big question that I... I'm going to bring that up. Yeah, but okay. he's not one of the people. In, like, yeah, I'm just like he's he. It's recent. It's a bit. Yeah, okay. So he's more of a decoy, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. So mm. the OCG take off in the jeeps in the white van. Stephen and a number of police officers follow them. But John hops out the car, shoots the tires. The next day, AC12 find the abandoned white van. The OCG made it off with fifty million worth of goods, and Sam is on the case. <laughs> Ten million from the first one. All of the rifles. And fifty, 50 million. million. Back in AC12, Steve and Tatlin interview PC Bloom, who is the um, oil on the road status zero officer. Hiding in the trees. Following a forensic report, I mean, wear a glove, pet. Traces of oil were found. <laughs> Traces of oil were found on Bloom's hands. He faked the ambush and after advice from his lawyer, Bloom admits that Hargreaves put him up to it. The status zero call giving him a reason to be in the area at the time of the robbery. So he was going to zip into the mm. depot, zip down to Farmer's Lane, just turn up. Right. Kate questions Mariana. She puts to her that in the house, the police discovered a freezer of used condoms. Speaking via a translator, Mariana reveals that the girls and women in the house were ordered by the OCG to keep used condoms of certain men, including that of the man who leased them out in the house. Kate puts it to Steve that Hargreaves may have been blackmailed into working for the OCG. Ted then tells him Hargreaves is dead. Ted meets Jill for a candlelight dinner. She's unimpressed with AC-12's inability to apprehend John Corbett. She attempts to convince him that she's on his side, then pushes him to retire at your age. Ted is stunned. She's surprised he, uh, she surprised he agreed to the dinner and forces it out of him that things aren't going well at home. John and Steve meet in a car park again. John's having a meltdown. He's raging with Steve for responding to the status era, a clear diversion. Steve tells him that Hargreaves is dead. John swears he aimed low just to wound. Now, which he did, but it was a bleeding machine gun. Y- yeah. What? So, cops yeah. on. Yeah. 
Bloody hell, a machine gun. So John insists Hastings is H. Steve attempts to arrest him and John shoots a gun over his shoulder. Swears he didn't mean to kill Hargreaves, but now he has. He's crossed the line. You crossed the line a long way back, said Steve. But it's different this time. John made the choice. He pulled the trigger. He's on his own. Um, This is all on you, all on you, he shouts to Steve and he flees. Now, sorry, excuse me. Ted has Jill back to his dodgy hotel room. While um, she uses the loo, he turns down a framed photo of him and Roisin on the bedside locker. Meanwhile, Roisin opens her door to John Corbett. Using a dodgy London accent and a forged ID card labelling him as Steve Arnott, Roisin refuses to let him inside the flat before she talks to Ted. Leaving to make the call, John pulls a balaclava over his head and gloves and slips inside the credits roll. And he, with the dodgy ID that he made in King's Game printing <laughs> service yeah. that he forged in King's Game. Shocking. Right, on to season four, episode four. I love this episode. Ted, Kate and Steve rush down the corridors of a hotel in search of Roisin's room. Sam tells Ted that the doctor has confirmed Roisin will make a full recovery. Speaking privately to Kate and Steve, she tells them the call went to her team because Mrs. Hastings didn't want Ted involved. A teary Ted takes in Roisin's injuries and she tells him what happened. She seems to think there were two men involved. The man who broke in having a Belfast accent and the man at the door with a London accent. But it was both Corbett. Yeah. Both Corbett. Yeah. Roisin tells Ted, he said you'd know why he done it. He said you'd know what you cost him. Ted ensures her that it's nothing personal, probably something to do with an AC12 case. The remainder of the conversation doesn't go well and Roisin throws him out of the room. Outside, a devastated Ted tells Sam, Kate and Steve that whoever is responsible for what happened better pray he's up in front of a judge before he gets his hands on him. Sam asks Ted if he knows of any significance to Roisin's injuries on her wrists, knees and ankles. Ted's white as a ghost and outside he dramatically stands in front of an ambulance. Lisa and John chat to the laptop. Unknown is pleased with John, but acknowledges that they've bitten off more than they can chew and trying to move the amount of shite that they're after Robin. The call disconnects and John and Lisa fight. John insists Unknown is a bent copper. H is a senior police officer. Tell me I'm wrong, shouts John. The scene... Now, okay, literally, right? John goes, H is a senior police officer. Tell me I'm wrong. And John's like roaring this. And literally that audio runs into the next scene, which is just Kate... And I thought that was very interesting. That's not a theory I have. That's a theory a lot of people have. And that was a really interesting edit. Um, So yeah, not a theory I'm a fan of, but on the 55th rewatch, it's a tad suspicious. So (laughs) Steve tells Kate that he's matching semen deposits from the Moth Heath brothel to Bent Coppers. What a gorgeous job. One of which was Hargreaves and his deposit was recent, Mm -hmm. meaning he's only newly bent and therefore couldn't be H. Now, my problem with that is, how did Dot know about him then? So in the very last scene of season five, yeah, which Brendan, you'll recap yeah. in a minute, so we can talk about that then. But the Morris Code thing comes up, yep. and Steve rattles off the bent officers. Hargreaves, Hilton. Yeah. No, no. But if Hargreaves is only newly bent... Hargreaves isn't, isn't Is he one not one of them? One. No. no. Okay, brilliant. No, we, we, we find out who the third person is at the end of episode five and there's still one more person we don't know about. Okay, perfect. That's brilliant then. Because I was like, that's... Um, I don't understand that. Great. Do, yeah, well, well let, let's let's come back to that because we'll, yeah. we'll write out I, the... Yeah, the, yeah. okay. Let's, okay, let's revisit. So Tatlin interrupts to introduce Amanda Yao of Cybercrime. who's about to well and truly waste her time making a list of pre-approved responses 
for when talking to the OCG. However, she first reveals that her team discovered the laptop accessed the internet via mobile data. Now, guys, he listens is very important. The mobile account links to the print shop. The user was having a conversation with another user mm. with an IP address in Spain. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Miguel. Oh, Machico Latino. Bob La Builder. <laughs> Although Steve points out that this does not necessarily mean the user is in Spain. What are you fucking? Literally, it literally is like they're like, this could just be just to throw them off the scent. <laughs> Convinced he's in yeah. Spain. Ted meets DCC Wise in her office where Jill is ready and waiting. Wise offers, uh, Wise offers her condolences to Ted. Jill does not stand to me. Ted offers poor woman at her age. <laughs> Wise and Jill are not happy about the failed East, Eastfield Depot surveillance job. Wise also brings up Ted's personal connections to Corbett's pending arrest now that a balaclava man has attacked his wife. Jill, however, vouches for Ted's personal integrity she insists to Wise that he's the best man for the job last chance Ted says Wise sternly Ted thanks both women and leaves Wise makes a call to cancel a flower delivery she was having sent to Roisin after Jill tells her hospitals don't allow flowers anymore I'm veering more towards muffins she says Mm, muffins Jill catches Ted on the stairs. She touches his hands and he panics. He tells her that Roisin was attacked at the exact time they were together. If that's not a sign, then I don't know what is. Jed screams at us through the dialogue. Did we pick up on it? I certainly didn't. Moffat catches Ted in the lobby of his hotel. The man can't get a minute. Ted has no time for him, but Moffat thrusts a brown envelope into his hands. A little more background on the proposal. That's all. Ted sort of distracted and he runs upstairs. And Moffat Looks like a lovely complex, doesn't it? Moffat watches on ominously Lisa Miroslav and Ryan arrive at Terry's apartment so we'll remember Terry from season one yeah. the OCG have been taking advantage of his kind hearted nature for years and now they make um, him a spy for them because Terry lives directly opposite the Kingsgate printing services um, Lisa asks Terry to describe the officers who raided the shop while Miroslav looks through the fridge for a beer Terry can't remember in the kitchen um, and with the fridge unfruitful Miroslav has a look in the freezer and Lo and behold, there is Jackie Lafferty's leg. Five seasons later, <laughs> him and Ryan have a good old laugh about it. Um, His freezer burned. It's disgusting. Terry then reveals, and it's the entire freezer as well. Terry then reveals that his memory isn't great, so he took photos. Swiping through Terry's phone, we see snaps of Steve Arnold. <laughs> Lisa recognises him as Manit's colleague. Lisa then figures out that the AC12 have been onto them long before Hargreaves knew about Eastfield. He was never told about print shop, and then she kind of surmises that they've got a rat. Mm, that's when she knows for sure. Yeah, and that's when things get scary. Um, John's outside Steve's apartment block looking shifty he holds an envelope addressed to Steve Arnott the second envelope that Steve was due to get that he never got like Danny Waldron everyone's obsessed with Steve literally why he's so obsessed with me Um, he spots a black jeep gorgeous (laughs) to be fair (laughs) yeah yeah and a new CCTV camera and he legs it. So later he calls uh, Steve who's having his phone traced by a second officer. John's really pissed off about the new surveillance. Steve is trying to calm him down um, and saying that everyone has extra surveillance following Roisin's attack. Kate and Tatlin are also listening in. Steve then pushes John to admit that the OCG assaulted Roisin. He won't give in. Um, but then he does play a recording of Roisin's torturing and at that stage... Um, Kate and Steve they clear everyone out of the room because it's a really private moment for Ted um, we can hear a man with what I think is a dodgy Belfast accent and then drilling sounds and then Roisin's please um, 
Roisin. It's actually horrendous. And I was like, feck you, John Corbett, you monster. Yeah, it's really monstrous, mm-hmm. actually. Um, so Roisin goes on to admit that Ted invested their life savings in some crackpot scheme five years ago. Was that when Stephen, season one happened? Or is that sooner? No, I think do, doesn't they say? Don't they say that Ted has money problems? Like they've kind of alluded to it really slightly. Because Lindsay Denton got those files. Remember, she went off yeah. to the other AC and yeah, and, and said, got those files that that showed that he was so it had must money be problems. Like season one or two, well, yeah. season one probably. Yeah, but I just think that's really interesting. So we knew Ted when he was making. These investments. These investments. Yeah. yeah. Or and else just before. Also, like, I don't think the man has that lavish of a lifestyle. Where's the money going? He's I, the head of an anti-corruption unit. I'm sure his salary is quite big. Well, he obviously had over a hun- he invested over 100 grand if he was going to get the 100 grand back to yeah. pay off Moffat and still get money as well. Yeah, mm. he might have remortgaged the house and he got he just was in over his head, really, wasn't he? I just think it's very interesting that, this, that the show had already started by the time Ted was investing Did in Ted these and Roche have any kids? No. No. I mean, there's another saving. Yeah, yeah. We don't know exactly when and maybe that is something that's going to be explored in more detail in season six, you know. I'm just like, Ted, where are you spending your money, love? Seriously. So John's back on the phone um, to Steve insisting that Hastings is bent. Hargreaves was into young girls. Hastings was in death. Boat blackmailed. Boat went bent. Or so John claims. Kate looks suspicious. John won't admit to the assault or explain Roisin's pattern of injuries has got to come from him. Ted opens Moffat's envelope to reveal wads of banknotes. 100k loan. Did he take it? Was it handed to him under false pretenses? Kate and Steve have a private conversation about Ted. Kate wonders why his death didn't show up when he was vetted. Another interesting point. Mm -hmm. Steve says the man in the recording sounded like a Belfast native. He didn't as poop. Um, They agree to look deeper into John's past. They meet his wife, and ask her if John has any connection to Northern Ireland. She denies it all and lets on that their marriage is very unhappy. Kate and Steve refuse to leave without marriage cert. Then back in AC12, Kathleen confirms the surveillance is live on Mrs. Corbett. Christ almighty, this is long, but we're nearly there. Meanwhile, John, Lisa and Miroslav meet another OCG in a vacant office building. Ryan watches from the car. John wants to make a business deal. The leader of the second gang says the goods are too hot to move. However, they can't help with the livestock trade. Disgusting. So vile. I can't, I actually can't deal with the rest of this episode. Um, Okay, so now that John's OCG have lost their brothel in Moss Heat, he's like, we can help you put the livestock somewhere else. John isn't having any of it and wants to leave, but Lisa wants to talk business. Following the meeting, John and Lisa talk in private. Business is business, she says. John asks her if she likes what they do when it comes to the livestock. She falters for a minute before saying, I just do what's expected. Who's expecting that of her? Do you know? John tries to distract her with making the Eastfield job um, pay off. Only the top man can get enough coppers to look the other way so they can move the goods on and Lisa has set up a meet. Later, John rings Steph. She tells him the AC12 called over asking about Northern Ireland. Do they know about Anne-Marie? Asks Steph and John breaks down. Steve and Kate meet Ted in his office. Cybercrime are working on a link with which to chat to the OCG on the laptop. Steve wants Corbett left in the play as he's a good inside man to have. Ted's not having it and wants him in immediately. Later, Steve is fitted with a wire for a meet with John. AFOs, including a man called Kyle. Oh, I love Kyle. I love Kyle as well. <laughs> have you? Yeah. You've forgotten then? No, I haven't. But I, on, upon a rewatch. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm that still a bit confused by I Carl, thought, if so I'm honest. confirmed. Well, no, when we did our initial season five episode by episode recap, we uh, well, I think we agreed that Kyle was dodgy. And then when I watched it again, I was looking for that and I, I didn't see it. No, me either. Okay. I'm confused. I yeah. feel like he is dodgy. So let's, what the hell have I written down here? Okay. Um... So they watch on Ted and Kate are near in a black day van. So Steve attempts to bring John in. John tells Steve there's a meeting with the top man that day. You nick me now and we'll never have this chance again. He won't give up the details because he's paranoid about bent coppers, which is completely fair enough. John then reveals it was he who assaulted Roisin and Ted hears it all. Tensions build between Steve and John with Ted and Kate shouting in Steve's ear for John to arrest him. Steve pulls his gun and John follows. Ted then gives Steve a Fahrenheit order to shoot John. John dead. Kate is absolutely shocked, reminding Ted um, that with John dead, they're just going to lose all their intel. And Steve's not going to do another Fahrenheit order after the Fahrenheit order is the whole reason why. The episode he, one, season yeah, one. Exactly. Um, so you shoot me and the truth never comes out. So John asks Steve to remove his wire and he'll reveal where and when for the meet. So Steve does that. It's the Palisades shopping centre at four o'clock that day. Steve warns John to be careful about who he tells because if it doesn't happen, then John or Steve knows he has a leak. Kate sends Kyle and the other AFOs towards John, but he escapes in time. Now I'm convinced we'll come to this later on, but yeah. Kyle's the leak. Yeah, no, yeah. I Kyle oh, heard that. Mm, how did Kyle hear that? Doesn't he hear it? Right, hold on. We keep going, but doesn't he hear it off? Because he sent the Palisade shopping centre at four o'clock. Yeah, Kyle okay. is sent to the yeah. shopping centre. And then yeah. it doesn't okay. happen. Okay, yeah. So we hear the off Ted or whoever, right? So, I, yeah, I thought the Ted was the leak. No, no, I think it's Kyle. Okay. So Ted has sent Steve to wait for him in the glass box back at AC12, right? Because John's ran off and they're all back in the office. So he and Kate discuss the failed operation. Kate asks Ted to explain his Fahrenheit or- order, which he does furiously before marching towards Steve. The whole office turn around and he gives Steve a serious dressing down. Steve's not happy with the Fahrenheit order. He's like, don't turn me into an assassin. And then he reluctantly gives up details of the meat. I think that whole scene is so tense. It's so yeah. awkward. Because Steve, not out of badness, but he's just like, if I can just, like, to Ted, if I can just keep you out of this, I can be sure that you're not the leak. You're not the leak. But Ted is so offended by that. Of course you would be. Yeah. So it's 4pm, Lisa, Miroslav and John are waiting at the shopping centre but nobody turns up. Lots of armed officers including Kyle watch on now. They keep showing Kyle so I just okay. presumed Kyle being there, Kyle's the leak, Kyle tipped Kyle's in the last episode as well. Do you know? Yeah. Scorts Jill yeah, yeah, yeah. into the building. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? So at half four, John gives up and storms off. Kyle radios Kate, see, advising against approaching because it looks like the suspects are armed. So he's like, I don't think we should shoot them. I don't think we should try bring them in. It looks like they're armed. Um, she agrees, and the AFOs stand down the OCG escape. Um, in the car that Ryan is waiting outside in, Tatlin tells Ted that H was a no show, and he stares out the window. Now, seconds later, he's at Blackthorn Prison for a meeting with Lee Banks. This is Ted. Fruit of the loom fruit of the loom I ain't saying a word to this bastard says Banks sit down fella says Ted this bastard has a thing or two to say to you (laughs) we do not get to hear what's said and as soon um, and soon Ted is looking angry in the back of a car and he's being driven away from the prison never find out who drove him no No. why is he even being driven yeah that could be any we don't know but this is the thing I don't think Ted did anything dodgy there and I think that's why he's in the back of a car because Mm. it's to show us why would he go there with a driver yeah You'd go in secret, right? Okay, I have something or to say about that at the end. He Good. could have gone with the person that he might have been in a hotel room with. We don't know. Stop, yeah. 
Why would she be driving him? She's not. I I do, I do <laughs> she think she is driven. This whole season, we are we are being literally handed the fact that Ted is dodgy, but it's not. True. I have some. Okay, I have some. I'll say something at the end. Oh, I can't wait about that visit to prison. Okay, we're a few seconds left now. Um, all right, later, Tatlene tells Kate and Steve that they've lifted John Corbett's prints from his apartment. She's linked them to the information he had to provide when he joined the force. Here's what we learned. He joined the force in 1999. He was adopted age 10 by the Corbett family. His adoptive mother's maiden name is McGillis. Must be a close relative as his birth name is John McGillis. He was born in Belfast. His father, Anthony Patrick McGillis, died in 84. His mother, Anne-Marie McGillis, died in 89. Kate tells Tatlene that the information is completely confidential then asks her or then tasks her with looking into the McGillis family. John drinks in the club where he's soon joined by Lisa. There's a new message on the laptop. She brings him into the back room to chat but by now AC12 have infiltrated the device and on the other end of the conversation is Ted, Kate, Steve and Amanda from Cybercrime who's rigidly sticking to her pre-composed responses. <laughs> I know Ted's just like give me the laptop. Everyone knows an Amanda everyone knows and abide the book and in fairness Ted is rags is rags but he boots around the chair Very, fr- he's very um, used to writing on MSN isn't he a very quick typer we did Jesus. discuss this last time for a man of his age <laughs> so he's typing away and he tells John and Lisa he can help get the East feel goods out of the country and then he spells definitely wrong he finishes the conversation with I need you to bring all this to a close and I don't know why I'm obsessed with that line I feel like it has a deeper meaning what do you mean Asks John, but the call disconnects and Ted storms off. Okay, a people carrier of foreign women parks on a dodgy road. Miroslav hops out of the driver's seat in a smart suit. Lisa reassures women that they just need to make a quick stop to make sure everyone's documents are in order. John, who's followed in a black jeep, is looking scared. The women are led into a car door where two gang members wait for them and they quickly realise what is happening and begin to scream. Ryan and Miroslav force them into a room. John pleads with Lisa for them to leave. Um... She tells him there's no way out for people like th- there's no way out from people like this. John tells her that they can go together. She just needs to trust him. So the OCG drink and play cards in a room, waiting for the deal to be made. Cries can be heard in the background. John refuses to join in on the card game, but he eyes Miroslav's gun on the table and then makes eye contact with Lisa. The women continue to scream, and Ryan leaves to deal with it. Um, soon, loud groaning can be heard. John joins the card game to get closer to Miroslav's gun which he soon grabs and points it at the men in the room he asks Lisa to grab the door and the pair escape locking the room behind them John bursts into the room the uh, other room where the groaning is coming from the women are in there and they're terrified but the noises are coming from a gang member who's putting it on it's all been a ruse to out John as the rat Ryan slips up behind him and slits his throat John bleeds out on the floor still completely in shock and he shoots his gun at the wall as Lisa leans in really close to call him a rat the scene cuts to John's wife reading a bedtime story to the girls Miroslav drags John's body out of the hall and Lisa walks down the corridor she holds her hands over her mouth and knows to stifle her cries and the credits roll. Like the slitting of John Corbett's throat. I know we've said it, but it is horrendous. It's so graphic. The camera doesn't cut away. It's awful. Did we watch that episode together? No, we watched the final episode together, yeah. I think, yeah. Okay, guys. It's honestly still a shocking, even though you know it's coming when you're Ooh. watching it again. Like, it's I'll, so shocking. It's yeah. one of the most, like, honestly, it, it, like... 
the last 20 minutes of that episode are hard to rewatch. I don't think I'll ever revisit them again because it's just so dark. It is. But John's a goner one way or another and it was coming. It was so, something or another was going to happen. Yeah. He was just playing too much of a dangerous game. It's just interesting for the, the lead, like new character to come in like he's killed in episode 4 he's still 2 hours yeah. to go although as we said about um, was it season oh, Danny 3 Waldron. Danny Waldron gone in episode 1 yeah, yeah. bleeding out yeah, yeah. to be fair um, okay. okay season 5 episode 5 Lisa, Ryan and Miroslav are all in a car um, they're at like a scrapyard Ryan says that he's passed his exams and he's going to miss all this fun uh, Tatlene tells Kate and Steve that Corbett's mother was executed back in the day for being a police informant in Belfast her name was Anne-Marie McGillis uh, she was tortured in a very similar way to the way that Ted's wife Roisin was recently by John Corbett. Ted visits Andrea Wise and Rohan uh, who tell Ted that AC12 are no longer allowed to investigate Operation Shitshow. Uh, Wise <laughs> says that she's asked Carmichael to take a look. Um, this is where Jill says, you know, sometimes we should have a non-exclusive relationship with the truth. We don't want to find out too many rotten apples. Would like that in a t-shirt. It's a really good line. Uh, next, Ted and his team gather around a laptop and Ted starts chatting to the OCG pretending to be H again, or is he? Uh, ignoring those pre-approved written responses and arranging to meet in person at the club. Uh, next, we see Ted in his hotel room with a wad of cash in a brown envelope trying to make a call um, to a number and we just hear it goes to like voicemail and it's like, uh, this is Mark Moffat Property Services. Um, Steve and Sam uh, go for drinks but their night is an anti-climax when little Steve turns out to have stage fright. He's like swallowing the painkillers to beat the band here again. Uh, Kate tells Ted that she doesn't think it's lawful for him to arrange and carry out an undercover operation. She thinks it should be called by somebody else and then carried out by a separate person that it's it's dodgy AF when you're the person to, to do it all. Um but he turns up to the club pretending to be H anyway. Ted meets Miroslav and Lisa who are not convinced that he is H so they shove a bag over his head and drive him to her warehouse where all those seized goods are. Ted keeps asking where Corbett is who's obviously dead by now his throat's been slit and uh, he tells them about his plan to fly the drugs out of a small airport um, and when he's in the middle of this, AC-12 officers burst in and arrest Ted and Lisa. Miroslav is shot dead here. Kate and Steve explained that they were able to find Ted in the warehouse because they tracked a burner phone that Miroslav had on him. They tell Ted that he needs to sleep the night in AC-12 so that the OCG think that he's in custody. Kate and Steve question Lisa and suggest that if she helps them, they could give her four words. Immunity! Lisa tells them the tip-off about John Corbett being a rat came from Blackthorn Prison, which is where Ted visited Lee Banks. Mm -hmm. So it looks like Ted fed the info to the OCG about John to get back at him after he tortured his wife and Steve refused to shoot him dead with that Fahrenheit order. Uh, while Kate and Steve take their concerns about Ted's conduct to uh, Andrea Wise, Jill visits Ted, who's still holed up in AC12, and she once again tries to convince him to retire. Jill says she's there as a concerned colleague and wants Ted to avoid an embarrassing end to a distinguished career. Uh, she says that she's sorry to inform him that he's been suspended. Uh, Ted tells her to shove it and also makes it very clear that he's unhappy that Carmichael is being brought in to investigate him. Ted points out that uh, Carmichael has been fast-tracked up the ranks. Ted leaves AC 12 and a half and arrives back to his hotel where we meet fake Kate for the first time, <laughs> D.I. Michelle Brandis. I got it. Uh, yeah, she arrests Ted for suspicion of misconduct in a public office. Kate and Steve are called to the discovery of body parts in a bag at that scrapyard we saw at the beginning of this episode. There's a very, very strong smell coming from inside the bag. Everyone's gagging and heaving. 
Steve tells Kate that there's no way that John Corbett deserved that, uh, assuming that it's John Corbett's roommates. Uh, Ted arrives to be questioned by Carmichael in the Glass Box Spectacular at AC12, not before an extremely long beep. I think it's the longest beep we've had uh, so far. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Carmichael is so good she is irritating she asks Ted about the uh, £50,000 in cash that were found in his hotel room he says Mark Moffat forwarded the cash to him under false pretenses and he was in the process of trying to give it back Um, it's all about the Kettlebell Project which we think is Hello Season 6 um Faye Kate chips in uh, in this interview and says old financial records which Lindsay Denton obtained show that Ted has been broke for years. He's vulnerable to bribery as head of an anti-corruption unit. Ted confirms he did visit Lee Banks in prison but only to question him. Uh, This is where we think that tip-off about John Corbett being a rat came from which led to his death. Next, Ted is shown photos of the body bag at the scrapyard. Not only does it contain the remains of John Corbett but also mushed up are body parts belonging to Jackie Laverty. When Carmichael arrests Ted on suspicion of murdering John Corbett, he screams, I'm not bent on being framed. Carmichael tells Kate and Steve they did the right thing and says, I will prove that Ted is H. And as the credits roll, we see Ted being locked up. Is that Jackie's leg out of Terry's freezer? It is, yeah. They remembered it and were like, we better just get just rid of it. Get rid of it. It's been sitting there for five years. Yeah, they were like, yeah. out the freezer. Do I'm glad for Terry then. Let's yeah. give Terry space for his Findus crispy pancakes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, uh, season five episode six Carmichael tells all staff in the AC12 office that they are legally required to cooperate with her investigation into their boss she tells Kate and Steve that 50 grand was found in his hotel room and says AC12 may have failed to bring him down but I won't um obviously now to the best line of duty uh, line of juicy line ever fake Kate bursts in and interrupts a chat between Kate, Steve and Tatlene which results in Kate telling fake Kate to stop making a titty yourself and piss, piss off, off. Uh, Tatlene says back in the day Ted was questioned in relation to the abduction of Corbett's mother Kate and Steve visit Corbett's wife Chicken Lichen uh, she tells them that Anne-Marie was helping the police and the police betrayed her leading to her death. Ted arrives at AC12 for more questioning. Faye Kate says they've drafted in their own armed guards uh, to, to mind the doors of the glass box as the last time Dot shot his way out of there. So they make a point of telling us that basically Carmichael has her own Armed, armed a- yeah, AFOs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, just as Carmichael is about to get stuck in, bomb chicka wah wah. Jill arrives at the AC12 offices and says she wants to sit in as an official observer to ensure correct procedure. Uh, the questioning goes on, but the, it's it, this is really long. Uh, but the general gist is that Ted denies causing Corbett's death, and he denies that he's H. Um, here, we learn that Anne-Marie McGillis, who was tortured and killed when she was a police informant back when Ted worked in Belfast, and who Ted probably had an affair with, even though he denies it, uh, Anne-Marie McGillis was John Corbett's mother. Ted is completely and genuinely shell-shocked by this news, breaks down and goes off to the jacks to gather himself. Kate and Steve doorstep Mark Moffat at his office and ask him about his commercial relationship with Ted. He says Ted invested in a development that went bust six years ago and he offered Ted a buy-in to make his money back. When Kate and Steve say Ted, uh, when they say that Ted say that uh, Moffat lent him 50 grand, he says he doesn't know where Ted got that from. Uh, Moffat says he's never heard the name John Corbett. Okay, back at AC12. Jill points out that Carmichael's team fake Kate, used the incorrect warrant or the incorrect grounds or legal terms to seize that 50 grand in cash from Ted's hotel room. It's She's so like, tense. this will be inadmissible in court. Carmichael is. Oh. 
fuming with Fake Kate. Kate effed up. She did. Uh, Ted is thrilled <laughs> and thanks Jill, who says, Ted, you don't have a bent bone in your body. This will all go away. Carmichael is fuming. She tells Fake Kate to put in a transfer request. Kate and Steve head to see Alison Powell in that suspicious building. Uh, they want to know who chose John Corbett to go undercover. Off the record, she tells them something, but we don't get to hear what. They race out of there. They head straight for the lift. Back at AC12, Carmichael tells Ted that new evidence against him has come to light and says they can now hold him for an extra 12 hours. She won't tell him what that, um, that evidence is. Carmichael, now only with Tina by her side... Fake Kate is not to her left anymore. She's obviously <laughs> kicked her out of the room. Fake in the bold like, corner. You, you can literally stop making a titty yourself and piss off. Um, so Carmichael with Tina by her side continues to question Ted in the presence of his solicitor who doesn't really have, doesn't do anything and Jill. Um, she says that Ted's DNA from his hair was found on Corbett's body and he's being charged with murder. At this point she charges him with uh, Corbett's murder. So Jill's like, well love, you know, if he's being charged with murder, the most serious offence, why are we carrying on here? Jill is very keen for this to be wrapped up in a bow. Like she was all, oh, Ted, not a bent bone. She's like, oh, a murder charge, I hear? Yeah. Let's just like be done with it. Um, Tina brings up call history from a burner phone, which makes calls from around the AC12 offices at times when only Ted was known to be around. Ted is like, I've never heard of that burner phone. I've never had it. It's not me, not mine. Don't know what you're talking about. Now, back to the misspelling of definitely that Hannah mentioned earlier. Ted claims that he had very carefully studied H's messages and deliberately also spelled definitely wrong. Carmichael says that it's more likely he made the same spelling mistake as H because you are H. He's like, I'm not. He then admits that he took a laptop to be disposed of, as we had seen earlier. He says it's because he'd been watching porn on it. Nothing illegal or extreme, just private stuff. He's like, my marriage had broken down. I'm embarrassed. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, Kate and Steve arrive back at AC12's main reception after that revelation that we didn't get to hear from Alison Powell. Uh, there's no armed guards at the front door downstairs street entrance to AC12 no armed guards they bump into Kyle and they're like uh, where are all the AFOs gone and he just shrugs and he's like they were needed elsewhere these things happen Tina watches on shadily from the balcony <laughs> yeah I, when you watch that again you're like oh yeah um <laughs> Upstairs and alone in the glass box, Jill tells Ted that she's heard Mark Moffat lent him 100k, not 50k, before telling him once more that you should resign. Uh, Kate and Steve burst into the glass box and take their seats opposite Ted and Jill. Carmichael says the she wants... The way they sit down. Uh, in unison. It's like synchronised seating. Oh, I love it. Uh, Carmichael says she also wants to sit in and Tina is there as well. Kate and Steve say Operation Shit Show was set up by <laughs> Rohan, although Rohan had no involvement Involvement in choosing the undercover officer. The operation was led by Alison Powell and Andrea Wise was also involved. Suspicious. Um, mm. It was decided that Rohan's senior legal counsel, Jill, would act on his behalf. Jill was instrumental in placing Corbett undercover. The very next second, Kate just says, Jill Bigelow, <gasps> and cautions her, right? Everyone so is good, complete. Everyone's completely shocked. Carmichael's shocked. Ted is shocked. Jill then reaches down for her burner phone, and we see a pre-written text that says, 
Urgent exit required. So she gets the phone ready, but she doesn't actually send the message. Kate and Steve play a recording of Jill and John Corbett that took place a full month before the idea of Operation Shitshow even came about. In this audio recording, we hear Jill tell Corbett that Ted killed his mother and that she's setting up an operation to frame him for being bent. Jill presses send on the urgent exit required message. But it's really awkward because unlike Dot's dramatic exit that ends up with Kate hanging out the side of a lorry, Mm. nobody arrives for her. No one gives a shit. Carmichael then calls the number of the burner phone that they thought that Ted had been using and shock horror, Jill's phone starts to ring. Ted puts two and two together and figures that Jill took hairs from his hairbrush when Mm. she was in his hotel room and had them planted on Corbett's body as part of her efforts to frame Ted. Jill refuses to say if she had a hand in Corbett's death because it means she wouldn't be eligible for four words. Immunity. Uh, Jill says there is no institutionalised cover-up. She's just one rotten apple. Ted says John Corbett was chasing a lie. She's like, have you not been listening, love? (laughs) The way she says that? Yeah, she's like, have you not been listening, love? There is no institutionalised cover-up. Um... Tina offers to transfer Jill to custody. She says to Carmichael, she's like, I'll bring this one to the cells. Just leave this with me. But she says to Jill, you might want a loo break first. I have to come with you. Ted thanks Kate and Steve. And in a very emotional scene, gets is being brought down the lift. And uh, they're just like, we're just doing our job. And he's like, it's a damn sight more than that. Um, Jill composes herself in the toilet. And when she opens the cubicle door, <laughs> Tina stabs her in the fucking hand with a knife. <laughs> It's so chucky. It's so horror movie. And the knife is like stuck in. And she's like trying to pull off and then she like slams her onto the way. It is horrendous. Uh, so Kate and Steve because at this point Kate in the middle of all this like, she's like oh I'd murder a copper so they're out making tea at like a little canteen <laughs> yeah, and they hear they hear the commotion high. inside the toilet so they run in <laughs> Kate and Steve burst in and Steve shoots Tina in the dish <laughs> <laughs> and he's like I never shot anyone before Right. He's shook, guy. He's so shook. <laughs> he does, though. He does. And you see her being carted into the ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> I just think this whole scene is hilarious, right? And this also, we spoke about this before, but this is one of my favourite moments. It's not even a thing, but Jill, like, <laughs> <laughs> lifts herself up off the ground and, like, flings her hair back it's just I find it very funny hairography yeah uh, Jill gets led away and Kate tells Steve that she's like that one's defo gonna talk she was like she's too fond of the finer things to do a prison stretch (laughs) (laughs) it's so true though everyone down the liffy and yeah, yeah, she would not give up those blow dries for anyone. No. Uh, so the OCG <laughs> didn't save Jill. So they didn't send anyone to like shoot her out of AC-12. But somebody told Tina to stop her from talking, which is why Tina stabbed her in the hand. But it has to be somebody who was a privy to the conversation that was being held in that room at that oh time. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah? No. Do you know the way Kate and Steve, when they walk in, see that there's no AFOs? Yeah is the fact that the AFOs didn't come in and get Jill the reason why Tina knows to end Jill because she's there. Yeah. Oh, so, so Tina's like, they didn't get her. I'm part of the corrupt officers. I'm going to make sure that she doesn't talk. That's the how but I... But were the AFOs not coming in to bust Jill out of there? Was she not going to run in her heels? They were, but yeah. Tina knew to finish the job because they couldn't get in because so she... Kate and Steve flagged it. 
Okay. Do you get me? Yeah, I do. Right. So, so Kate and Steve were like, where are the AFOs? What the hell? Okay, okay. That sits well yeah. with me. Okay, cool. Uh, Lisa McQueen talks to Steve and Kate under the promise that she's getting four words. Immunity. Uh, she says only her and John knew about the Palisades shopping centre meet. Who um, said that? Uh, Lisa McQueen. Okay. She said only me and John knew about the Palisades shopping centre meet. So when one of the OCG working as a shopping centre security guard told Lisa that there were police monitoring it, she knew that John was a rat because she's like, it was him and me. No one else knew and they had somebody working in the security of the shopping centre and security were like, Talisa, uh, this place is like overrun Crawling. with police. That's how she explains it to Kate and Steve. Okay. Uh, Lisa lies here and she yeah. says that Miroslav killed John Corbett. Yes. She lies to protect Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrea Wise is watching on this Lisa McQueen interview on a monitor with Patricia Carmichael and um, Andrea Wise very forcefully says to Patricia Carmichael, you're at a dead end here close the case and she's really insistent because Andrea Wise is wrapped up in all this yeah Stephen Cage rewatched Dot's dying declaration and miraculously figure out that Dot was using his left hand to spell out the letter H using Morse code I mean come on the, so the dying declaration is miraculously playing by itself in an empty office uh, in a room they just happen to walk Steve's into Steve's like oh I just shot someone in the tit let's walk into that boardroom uh, it's uh, oh, oh. It's, just, it's, it's the first time I've ever been disappointed the story because yeah. it's fucking bullshit it's, it's it's shite I have a question about that actually I'll bring yeah. it up after will I okay. I'll bring it up now yeah I'm nearly finished um, so Steve says four dots four caddies four police staff with links to organised crime he then names Dot, Hilton, Jill, and one more. Yes. That we don't know. On the steps of his office, Rohan and Andrea Wise tell gathered journalists that the findings couldn't be clearer. <laughs> there is no institutionalised corruption in this police force. Thrilled. <laughs> Over closing scenes, we learn that Operation Shitshow is closed. Cage received a commendation, so did Steve, yeah. and he was cleared of any wrongdoing in the shooting of Tina in the tit. He's popping pills for his back to beat the band. They make a point of showing that, I think. Uh, Lisa McQueen now educates teenagers away from a life of crime. Ryan has been accepted into police training school ladies and gentlemen oh my God. the serial killing child yeah for her help Jill was given a new identity but we don't know where she is uh, she's driving like a Ford Fiesta uh, in a very grey oh it's 1996 yeah it's yeah. grim looking yeah, yeah, wherever yeah. she is yeah. uh, Mark Moffat was jailed for bribery and at his trial he's like Ted 50 grand I gave him 100 what are you talking about uh, we see John's wife lay flowers on his grave and Ted approaches her clutching a brown envelope full of cash it's the other 50, it's the other half of that cash and for his guilt is giving it to her. Um, Ted was found guilty of misconduct for the way he went undercover as H yeah. and was given a final written warning but for now remains in charge of AC12. Oh my oh, God, well brilliant, Brendan. But Ted's on his last leg. Yeah. 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 And we've two seasons to go, yeah. don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, crazy. I'm still confused about the AFO situation. I need to rewatch it again because I'm I'm confused about what I said as well. Yeah, I'm unsure. Uh, in relation to Ted going to see Lee Banks in prison. Yeah. In an interview that Jed Mercurio did, he confirmed that Ted did tell Lee Banks about John Corbett. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. He said he did tell him. So Ted just denies it in the series. He's yeah. just like, but he did. But John was going to be outed as a rat either way because of the... Uh, the Palisades Shopping yes. Centre. Yeah. yeah. So John was a goner anyway, but Ted did do something yeah. wrong. Yeah. yeah. It is confirmed in the show that a tip-off from Blackthorn Prison was how the OCG yeah. found out. Yeah. yeah. 
Hmm, okay. So he did do something wrong there, but the, you can understand he was their reasoning. Raging he's like, he didn't kill him. My yeah. wife's been tortured. He's a thing, but it's re- it is really he's bad. Bent, so like, and Ted loves rags. Yeah. Also, it is bad though. It's like, against the rules. Like, if, killed, like if there was just porn on his laptop, like he's the head of an anti-corruption unit. Does Ted not realize that? Like, even if you dispose of something, you can find what was on. It's yeah, just I don't, I don't buy is. it. No. There's something more to that and the definitely thing he kind of doesn't feel he doesn't look convinced when No. Yeah, you know when she's like oh well, you could have just studied that loads. But like, I also yeah, yeah, don't I think he's H either. And is this whole notion of a H thing have we all just taken it and run with it and it, it doesn't even so. exist. So right, it's when, nonsense. When I was watching back this I just had my notes open on my phone I wrote down loads of stuff right Will I yeah. read it out yeah. to you yeah. because yeah. it brings up some of that yeah. and I want to talk about it. So what's the story with Ted's laptop? So in episode 6 he tells Carmichael that he disposed of the laptop because it wasn't relevant to the case did he know he was going to be arrested all along why dispose of something three episodes before your apartment gets searched does Ted have a big secret plan and all is yet to be revealed is he on a deep undercover similar to how we saw Keiko to AC3 or 9 in season 3 to investigate Dot he was at Alison Powell's pear tree office before Kate and Steve arrived the first time yeah now, it could just be a random thing that he said to Pell, but, like, why get rid of the laptop? The laptop thing is it's, just so far-fetched. It's, it's but, like... But you wouldn't get rid of it because you were watching porn. No. That's nonsense. No. Nonsense. It is. It's like, throw it in a skip. Don't bring it to a disposal centre wrapped in bubble wrap. Like, let's be sex positive here, Ted. Do you know what I mean? Let's be yeah. sex positive. Um, who is roasting Hastings' new fella and is this of any significance? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's two things on H. Did John Corbett create the the H idea and feed it to Dot via Tommy Hunter? So basically, John Corbett is the head of the OCG, right? He took that job off Tommy Hunter. Mm-hmm. Tommy Hunter works with Dot. Um, so did John Corbett create the H idea and feed it to Tommy Hunter via Dot to frame Hastings as payback for what happened to Amory? We in the last episode they they give out to Jill like obviously when they find out that Jill is one of the dots in the H they, they're like Jill why did you lead uh, John Corbett on a wild goose chase like basically Jill completely just said hi Ted here's Ted he's bent this is your whole thing and there was no grounds for it she specifically picked John Corbett because she had he had the connection to H. Yeah. But that to makes Ted. That makes me think that Ted isn't bent if they're if they, if the bent officers are willing to go to that same extent to have him removed from his Literally, position to investigate them. Absolutely. So Jill was like, Okay, this is Ted's past. Okay, also Mark Moffat, let's try get Ted involved by bribing him. Let's also get uh, Ted out of the whole situation by recruiting an officer who has personal connection to Ted and telling him that he's bent. So John Corbett's whole death and life was all all could have been avoided it was all because Jill used him as a pawn to get Ted out of office. And that's what makes me think that Ted isn't bent because I'm like Jill has gone so gone to such lengths to try and get rid of him. Yeah, get him out there because she because there's still one other officer that is left in the H conundrum. Here's another question about H or a statement. Dot invented H, right? So the OCG only know the top dog as H. They themselves. Yeah. Right. But if Dot hadn't have died, would he not have given at that exact moment? He would have given Kate more letters to the name. Can I also make a point here? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. He would have gone. Who took Dot's dying declaration? Kate. Are you... Are you? Uh, it's Kate. It's... She took his dying declaration. But away it's recorded. And, and 
but what's recorded? It's him <laughs> dying, not actually saying anything. And she's like, oh, yeah, what? Oh, yeah, give us an initial. Oh, H. Oh, there's a... And, and if you watch it, it and it's... Because I don't think it even plays in that final episode of season three. We don't... She takes a declaration. It's like a it's, re-record. It's like no, a re-record yeah, in this. season five. Yeah, but if you watch it in season five everything that this is all based on it doesn't actually come from Dot it comes from Kate because it's like she's repeating what he's supposedly saying but he doesn't actually fucking say anything yeah I so just it's all come from Kate the only thing is though if Kate was the bent copper surely Dot would have known because Dot was involved and recruited at such a young age surely they would have come across each other that's the so I think that that the whole time it's always Steve. Steve's getting the letters. Steve's been thrown off a balcony. Like Steve's being framed by Dot in Lindsay Denton's murder. Kate is always hidden in plain sight. So I do think there's more to Kate than yeah. they show us. I don't know if if she's the remaining H. I don't know what it is, but I think Kate's something's going to happen to Kate in season and, six. And are it's we, always Steve? Are we yeah. taking it on the face of it that we this is like we we're just waiting for a fourth H and we're done? Like, is that actually what's going on? I think the whole H thing is bullshit. Oh, like, so do I. If Dot hadn't have died, he would have gone H A or F. Do you know what I mean? So like, but there's way more corrupt officers than four. It it, it yeah. filters down so much. Like, look at your one Tina in this series. Like, there's all these yeah. other people who are involved. Like, your man paid off by. Um, uh, Hargreaves to just do the oil there's all these little like other people who are involved so but it's someone high ranking is the last dot in the H well Rohan and Andrea Wise absolutely um, or I don't know Buckles yeah. yeah, it's probably Buckles to be honest. So we know he's coming back. I also have a weird theory that after Hannah, you were, you know, we were chatting about Moffat and all on the whole property thing and, you know, all of that. I'm wondering, is there something with the police federation reps? Defo. So we know that Moffat's dodgy. Um he was Ross Huntley's police federation rep in season four. In season five, Manit enters AC twelve with her police federation rep, who is PC Paul Harris. Now I know that H, the remaining H doesn't need to have their surname beginning with H, but I, I just I'm like mm, maybe I'm thinking way too much into this but is there something weird going on with the police federation yeah like, definitely how fab yeah. is it like I just I'm like it's so like all like what a coincidence that like that's I don't pro- know that's it I have a problem with the coincidence because if we just go back to the H thing for a second right it's so fucking confusing because basically Dot is blinking and he blinks on H, right? And that's where H is born from. But then also he gives four dots. So yeah. he goes like this. Four. <laughs> you can't see so me right now. I'm like blinking this. and I'm moving my hands. So he's over here like this, probably having a fit. And the four four dots in Mars code is H as well. So was he saying H twice? But like also, or is he not just saying four? Dots? The man's been shot. He's dying. It's his last like <laughs> reflexes or whatever. Yes, he's exactly. he's but dying. H in Morse code is four. Four. So it's like, is that, you know so what I mean? Like, is the H, the surname and the person having to be called H is pointless? No, it's he's pointless. Just, he's just That's saying just four a, a red herring. It's just because uh, obviously the way Jed's written is that everyone has a bloody surname with like Hastings, Hargreaves. So that's why he was able Huntley. to have Bigelow in then. Yeah, as one of them. so Bigelow, it's because it's four people and not a H. The, so it's um, nothing to do with the H. Would no. Dot not just gone, held up the number bleeding four in his hands and pointed to himself then dropped out? Because he wasn't telling Cage anything. He was just dying and Kate made it all up. 
Well, I hope that it's clever. That like I hope yeah, that it's cleverer than I mean? the end of season five. But guys, yeah. why would Kate? What? Kate? What is the crack with Kate? The husband <laughs> and the son are oh God, always sorry. brought into it, but from a just a little glance and everything. Yeah. What's the crack of Kate's husband? You know, Kate did have the affair and everything, and I'm like, we there's more to her. It's all just kind of gone away, and everything's all rosy again. But I'm like, hang on a minute. Do you want to hear a theory we were sent? Should yeah. we keep this for the next podcast? Is it a theory about season six? It's about Kate and Doss. Okay, well, we keep it for the next. I think let's keep it and do a full theories episode. We're gonna we're planning on doing a podcast episode about all of the thoughts and theories and predictions for season six. So all of the people that you're like, hang on, are they coming back? I think Lisa McQueen's coming back. Can I just do say you? something on yeah. like Lisa McQueen? Right, I just wrote. There's definitely more going on with her. Okay, if she was brought up through the OCG and she's like, say she's in her early thirties mm-hmm. now, right? Then why is she so freaked out by everything? Oh, she's so conflicted. She's so conflicted and now she's educating young girls and she's got immunity but she knows about Ryan and are her and Ryan, you know? Like Ryan was brought up through the OCG. He's a cold-blooded killer. She was brought up through the OCG but her handshake every time she used to yeah. talk to someone. What is the story with Ted's hand Living signal on her nerves. in the warehouse in episode five to her made just before AC12 burst in oh, remember, yeah, remember he that. this or something what was yeah that? it looked like he was I thought he looked like he was warning her that he there was, was go- yeah. shooting go- that was it because the shooting was going to happen shooting was coming because she jumped out of the way and it saved her life yeah Um. although she does tell Kate and Steve that Ryan didn't kill Corbett allowing him to continue in the police academy they don't know Ryan exists like they she's like everyone in the OCG was killed in that rage like Miroslav killed John Corbett yeah. so she is covering up for Ryan which makes her dodgy with the other things that I'm not but is she about. really uh, like just guilty and conscious and just wants to give Ryan like a second totally, chance totally that's so true and well, she flip people's like, no I know yeah yeah but she just knows him like a brother really at this stage they've been in it together for so long <laughs> but she did an interview this week um, Roshanda Sandal did an interview with uh, Gethin Jones on some BBC show or one of those shows in the UK I like it um, and she did say she has unfinished business in Line of Duty now, oh, that's good. you know, she's, she just goes, oh, it's unfinished business. Lisa has unfinished business. I'm like, maybe she is going to yeah. be. But I think Ryan's going to come back in season seven. It links everything together, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, let's plug our OCG interview special. Yes. So we did an interview with uh, Roshenda Sandal. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... Alex- Alexander Nakiel, who played Nakiel. Lee Banks. Yeah. And we also interviewed... Who else did we interview on that special? Lee. Oh, uh, Ryan Pilkington yes. yeah Gregory Porter Gregory Porter who, who plays or Gregory no Gregory Piper who Gregory plays, Piper uh, Gregory Porter did that great song of Disclosure yeah. <laughs> so Gregory Piper who played um, who plays Ryan Pilkington um, so if you do want to listen back to that we did record it after season 5 and we had great chats with um, with those actors um, and yeah. they're all absolutely brilliant Ryan gave us a bent bastard Lisa um, Rashinda Sandal gave us her line Bye bye. She was great crack. So have a listen to that. Yeah, she was so great fun. We are going to be back soon with an episode all about theories because I feel like we've only just tipped the the surface of all of the things that could possibly happen in season six. Yeah, so we've been looking back, uh, and in the next episode, we're going to be looking forward. Uh, uh, trying to figure out what we think is going to happen in season six, who's going to make a return, what the crack is with H. We would love uh, all of your thoughts and theories to feed into this next episode. So please email them to, the, to us, uh, shrinepod at gmail.com. 
and we are at Shrine Pod on all the socials. Also, subscribe to this feed to make sure you get our next episodes. You can always throw us a five-star review if you think it's worth it. And yes, get your emails in. We got some great ones already, which we're going to hold on to. There's some really good investigatory work going on on Twitter, looking into some of Jed's cryptic clues, which mm. he's posting. So please continue to do that because we are ramping up to the release of season six now. It's long awaited, but it's happening. It's be so soon. Uh, also, we are on Patreon as well. If you feel like throwing us a few euro patreon.com forward slash shrine pod we are going to have bonuses and stuff for the patreon yeah when um, the when season six comes out yeah for the patron saints when season six comes out we haven't figured out exactly what those are but they'll be nice juicy bits there'll be a few muffins few muffins and there'll be interview specials on the way so like there's going to be a lot of content coming down this feed over the next couple of months as we ramp up to season six episode one um so hit that subscribe button and we will be back very soon and thanks so much for listening for all your theories that you do send in because sometimes, uh, to be honest, I don't know what's going on sometimes. I need to rewatch the whole Kyle situation. Help. Interview terminated. Go on. Piss off. This is TV worth talking about. So we want to hear what you have to say. Find Shrine Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Shrine Pod. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.